Gordy technically should be wiser today, given that it's his birthday. We will find out. Older and wiser, they say. Oh, wider, older and wider. All right, I'm going to pray for Sandra. And then she is going to share what she's been working on and what she has for us this week. Looks good, peering over her shoulder. Father, thank you so much for Sandra. Thank you um, for giving her as a gift to us, as a sister, as a friend. Thank you for all that you have done in her life, that um, even through the hard times, you've brought uh, wisdom and revelation and um, just a sweet spirit in, in Sandra. Thank you that she's um, been willing to give us her time this week, both in preparation and in sharing. Pray that you would bless her, especially for this, and that as she speaks today, that your Holy Spirit would be on her and that all that you've put into her heart to share would come out as intended, Lord, as you'd like it to come out. And help us, Lord, to hear, to have soft hearts, open minds, to hear what the Spirit is saying through Sandra today. Amen. So can you hear me? Because last time I talked... <laughs> Apparently I talk a little quiet, so I, it'll have to be loud enough for everyone. Now can you hear me? I can hear my own self echoing away. So, um, All right. I want to talk about the wisdom of the body. Um, so this is something I... Ooh, it sounds so echoey. Is it just me or? It is echoey? How does that change? This goes farther? Just keep talking? Okay, okay, sorry. Um, okay, so the way I prep for a sermon is I say, God, what do you want me to talk about? Because now, can you hear me now? I just have to keep talking. Sorry. So sorry. I don't do the, this normally, so there you go. I'm just going to keep talking. So um, I was a philosophy major, so I can talk about all kinds of things. <laughs> so I asked God to kind of just narrow it down. And um, when I said yes to Gordy, and then I asked God, and I felt like the little lectio that we did with the images a couple weeks ago, I felt like good about that. And then I said, well, what about the second one? And I felt like God say, I'm not going to tell you to the last minute. And I was like, <laughs> sweet. Um, so if this sounds like I made it up last minute, <laughs> that's God's problem. <laughs> um, but I, did, I have been thinking about this topic for a really long time um, because, uh, as I've said before, I've had a traumatic childhood, which has led to quite a bit of body issues myself. And so I feel like God has been talking to me about that and has given me some wisdom in my body, but I don't want to make it sound like I've totally got this figured out and I want you to get it figured out because I'm learning. So, yeah. Um, so that's kind of the bit of that. Um, and I'm also testing this out, so let me just see. So, this is kind of like my big idea right here, um, and that's that our lives in our bodies 
is actually the sacred practice that we're doing. And all the sacred practices that we do, I think, are sort of to help sort of remove the obstacles that we have in actually realizing that we are always one with God, that we are never separate, despite the fact that we feel separate sometimes. We, not, we are never actually separate. Um, and I'm also thinking, like, the idea is that that's not something we can know with our minds and our hearts only, that it, we only know that, like, really know that when we're kind of in our body and aware of our body and present to our body, because that's where God is. So... Um, yeah, that's kind of my intro there. So, um, oh, also, I should just say, this is a lot of this stuff is um, sort of my own experiences, but also um, coming from people like Richard Rohr, Thomas Merton, Thomas Keating, and um, a guy called John Kabat-Zinn, who is the guy who started the mindfulness-based stress reduction clinic, um, and basically is the leader of mindfulness in, in the Western world at this point. And also from reading a lot of mystic poetry, um, a lot of mystic poets of all religions really talk about the body and how it is quite a sacred, it's a sacred dwelling. Um, so with that, we have a saint here that Gordy apparently likes. And when you look him up, it says he's one of the giants of the early church. So there you go. Um, this is St. Irenaeus, and I'm just going to read this poem. It's called Capable Flesh. The tender flesh itself will be found one day, quite surprisingly, to be capable of receiving, and yes, full capable, of embracing the searing energies of God. Go figure. Fear not. For even at its beginning, the humble clay received God's art, whereby one part became the eye, another the ear, and yet another, another this impetuous hand. Therefore, the flesh is not to be excluded from the wisdom and the power that now and ever animates all things. His life-giving agency is made perfect, we are told, in weakness, made perfect in the flesh. So I could actually just stop preaching there. I think that pretty much captures what I want to say, actually. Um, but, yeah. The emphasis for me and for us, I think, today is the flesh is not to be excluded from the wisdom and the power that animates all things. His life-giving is made perfect in the flesh. Um, and I think we often think that God's speaking wisdom into our spirits and in our hearts and minds, but we don't often think that our body is also a place where God is speaking wisdom. And I think part of that reason is because we have quite distorted views of our body, which anyone who lives in this culture has obviously experienced. Um, we use our bodies for advertising, often women. Um, we sell bodies. People still are sold to other people. Um, we pay athletes tons of money to versus people who actually are helping the bodies of others. Um, eating disorders, overeating, body image problems, uh, substance abuses, assault, murder, um, putting people into bodies into war. These are all, I think, coming from that we, we fail to understand the sort of beauty and power and wisdom that's in our bodies. Um, I also think we're kind of living with a Platonic and Cartesian hangover in our culture of the mind-body split. Um, 
Plato, as you remember, oh, I already have that, um, saw the mind and the body as two really separate things and that they were made of different substances. The mind was something immortal and obviously good. We like to establish a hierarchy and sort of binary judgments about things. And the body was good for you know the time being, but it was mortal and bad and made of a different substance that was not as elevated as the mind. And um, Descartes, his famous sentence that everyone's heard is, I think, therefore I am. So our whole, how we know that we exist, because he was quite concerned about how does that we know that we exist, um, which is the kind of problems he caught with in philosophy, like, is this actually real? So he could have looked down and said, oh, I have a body, I'm clearly real, but he was concerned that that wasn't quite good enough. And so when he summed it up, it was, it was our thinking that made us I am's, that made us actually present, and, and the body was just something passing away and you know, not making it to heaven or whatever. And I think the Christian philosophy early on was also quite influenced that by, by that also. Um, and then the other person that I think put us into trouble is Paul, writing about the spirit versus the flesh. And I'm not saying that Paul's wrong, but um, we <coughs> have kind of, uh, Richard Rohr talks about how that actually the flesh is better um, translated as not our body, like the spirit versus our body, but actually the spirit versus our egos. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about more about that. Um, and so, yeah, and I think as Christians, we've also, that for some time, had these things that are sort of all these, you know, hair shirts and self-flagellation sort of to subdue our flesh, that it's sort of the source of evil. It can lead us into bad things that where there's this sort of moral battle within us of like our minds and spirit or spirits in our bodies or our mind in our bodies. And then there's this one which allows us to sort of come to a place where we're dividing good and spiritual work as being things like prayer and abstinence and fasting and things like, you know, work and sex and eating are sort of fleshly and, you know, not so good and not where God is. Um, and so then the, in this sort of view, then our, our souls are sort of trapped in our bodies and we're, you know, waiting to heaven so we can be, you know, our real selves can be, you know, freed from the body. And actually, interestingly, Nietzsche, his, one of his sort of complaints about Christians is that they were never actually here that they're always living for heaven and not actually here in this world thinking that it's, you know, also significant and, and part of being human to be here. Um, and so I think we might think that now at this point we've kind of gone past that. We know that all that kind of stuff isn't good and no one's going to put on a hair shirt anymore or whatever like that. But um, if you think about that you have maybe not a less distorted view there's just some really easy questions that sort of spring to mind, and it's like things like, um, when your body's really tired, do you push it a little harder? Do you stay up a little later? Do you let it rest? When you're, you're tired in the middle of the day, do you let yourself have a nap? Um, do you exercise your body gently, or do you over-exercise or neglect it? Do you, what do you eat? What do you put into your body? Do you wish that you looked different? Um, <laughs> All of, us, all, of the, all of us have spent some time wishing we looked different. Um, there's a great little poem from another mystic that says, if you got rid of some of your body parts, that God would miss those body parts. Um, yeah, and then another thing is, is like, do we think about 
feeding our body with beauty, like going into nature or art or music, um, that that's something our body clearly God has made us with that ache. We've been you know, painting on caves for you know, thousands of years. Um, that's all right. So a lot of times I think we think our body tells us things like, I'm hungry and I have to go to the bathroom or I need to go to bed. But actually, I think our body is telling us way more than that and that God is speaking um, in our bodies. Um, yeah, so now science, of course, has come around to this and, and medicine is slowly coming around to this. We know now that our minds and bodies are not separate, that emotions are cellular, that our memories and traumas are stored in our body. Um, we know that um, illness will bring our spirits down and that likewise if our spirits come up, our bodies will do better. There's tons of examples now and tons of books and neuroscience about how that works. Um, a couple of really great books that I've read are called The Body Never Lies and The Body Keeps the Score. They really talk about a lot about the wisdom of our bodies, the effect of trauma on our bodies. Um, and because it's so fun to have quotes from scientists, here's one. Um, Emotions are cellular signals that are involved in the process of translating information into reality, literally transforming mind into matter. So the things we think and the things we feel are actually becoming matter. We're burning pathways. Um, and then I have another quote from a guy named John O'Donoghue, which maybe some of you have read. He's an Irish poet and priest, and he, or was, he's dead now. Um, he writes really beautifully. He says, your mind can deceive you and put all kinds of barriers between you and your nature, but your body does not lie. Your body tells you, if you attend to it, how your life is, and if you are living from your soul or from the labyrinths of your negativity. The human body is the most complex, refined, and harmonious totality. Your body is, in essence, a crowd of different members who work in harmony to make your belonging in the world possible. The soul is not simply within the body, hidden somewhere within its recesses. The truth is rather the converse. Your body is in the soul, and the soul suffuses you completely. I really like that quote. <laughs> um, your body does not lie. That's really true, and, but we have to attend to it. Um, you know, people are, we're sick, we're getting sick, we are sick with anxiety and depression, and these things have something to tell us besides the fact that you are sick, um, but we aren't really that attentive to them. Um, and it's hard to be attentive to those things, I think, because we're kind of scared of what might actually be laying within us and what emotions we might be shoving in various places in our bodies. Um, and, uh, but our bodies can really tell us sort of what our feelings are, and often that's easy, an easier way to figure out what your emotions are. At the end of the day, sometimes you have that feeling of like, oh, you know, or whatever, like, I'm so frustrated, but you have no idea necessarily what caused the thing, or, you know, they kind of creep up on us. But in schools, they're teaching, and we had an OT who taught this to do to two, um, emotional regulation. And the way they teach kids to sort of recognize their feelings is actually through their bodies. So they'll say, you know, if your head is down, and you're, um, you're, you're body feels heavy, then that's sadness. Or if you're feeling hot and your fists get tight, that's anger. Or if you're sweaty and your tummy feels kind of funny, that's anxiety. Um, I feel like maybe adults could also learn to do that, you know, identify your feeling by going, oh, what's happening in my body? What's my body telling me? Um, 
And things like, now we know things like anxiety and depression, PTSD, other illnesses, um, like mental illnesses, are not actually just mental, they are physical. And if you go to a doctor and you say, um, I'm feeling depressed, they're not just going to ask you about you know, your feelings. They're going to say things like, are you feeling more or less tired? Do you feel like eating more or less? They're going to assess that through different body um, uh, symptoms, I guess. Yeah. Um, we also have lots of phrases, actually, that are kind of like that. You know, we can feel heavy-hearted. You can do, have things that happen to you that make your skin crawl. You have butterflies in your stomach. You can be scared, itless, blank itless. You know <laughs> what I'm saying there? Um, so those are all kind of, we've known that. It's sort of in our, our culture, in our words, but we just, it, we're not quite aware of it. We're not making those connections, necessarily. Um, and so science knows it, but... That, and I really love when science starts to just confirm what the Bible's actually been saying for a really long time. So scripture actually has a zillion examples of this. And I'm going to read you a few of the examples um, from Psalms and Proverbs because it's really particularly rich places for that. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. My bones are in agony. I am sick at heart. My life is poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is melting. My strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. I am in distress. My body and soul are withering away. I am dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. I am wasting away. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day. My strength evaporated. My whole body is sick. My health is broken because of my sins. My wounds fester. I am bent over and racked with pain. A raging fever burns within me. I'm exhausted from an anguished heart. I'm paralyzed by fear. Ignore wisdom, and in the end you will groan in anguish when disease, disease consumes your body. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs them down. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Um, I think every person has probably been able to identify with those, those connections that are being made. I know that I have totally been able to connect with those. Um, um, yeah, um, it, but it, it also kind of goes the other way. Not only does our sick spirit or broken heart weigh our body down, but it goes the other way, that um, joyful hearts and hearts at peace can lift our bodies and give us more energy and more health. Um, so here's scriptures that kind of go the other direction. Um, your promise revives me. Your instructions have sustained me. The Lord keeps me alive. He lets me rest. He renews my strength. My body rests in safety. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores their health. He brought me safely from my mother's womb, led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I really love that one, actually, because it's just amazing to think that, um, that we've been learning trust from our own parents' bodies, you know. Um, and anyone who's nursed a baby really can have, has that sense of like, you know, we know chemicals are released when a woman's nursing, but you, that sense of like, it is when you're nursing, you are really connecting to the spirit of that baby. Um, trust in the Lord, and you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Listen carefully to my words. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they will bring life and healing to your body. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. A desire fulfilled is a tree of life. 
a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Um, another one that David says is, their insults have burdened my heart. Um, that phrase, sticks and stones will break our bones, but words will never hurt us, is actually just simply not true. Words do physically hurt us. Words is how God created this world, and words is how he created us. And words can bring life within us, and words can bring death in us. And um, the Proverbs is actually full of that, that the life, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Um, and the, the converse is true, that kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, and healthy for the body. Um, so, um, I, was, I could just sort of talk this to you, but I was also thinking the best way for you to know it is do a little bit of, uh, we're going to do a little exercise in your body so that you can just briefly have a connection with uh, how your body works. So, we've been doing nice quiet breaths here. Um, so, I want you to kind of sit straight and put your body, your Feet, feet firmly on the floor. Try to make your spine, sort of body as straight as possible. And um, so we've been talking about how to, breathing deep, when, they, when people are talking about breathing, what they're talking about is breathing from your diaphragm. This is the, you should actually feel your diaphragm kind of rise up and down. It's, what I want you to do is I want you to breathe shallow. I want you to breathe just filling up your lungs. So try that for a minute, and then just close your eyes. And I want you to just notice how your body feels when you go shallowly in your lungs. All right, volunteers, can anyone tell me how that feels when you breathe really shallow? Unfulfilled. Unfulfilled. Yeah. Tense. Tense. Tense, yeah. Anxious. It immediately makes you feel anxious to breathe like that. Um, okay, so now I want you to do it the other way, and I want you to breathe through your diaphragm. I really want you to, your lungs aren't filling up, your diaphragm's filling up, and just notice how that feels in your body. How does that feel in your body? What are words that go with that? Everyone looks calmer. <laughs> what was that? Blood pressure drops. It actually does drop, actually. Um, calming. Centered. Yeah. Um, and actually, we know that the brain stem, there's this picture of the brain that they'll use for kids, right? Where this is your... This is your fight or flight down here. This is your midbrain where all your emotions and memory kind of tends to be. And this is our prefrontal cortex, and that's the place where we can make our decisions and feel calmer about things. When we breathe, that flips up. And when we breathe the other way, we know it actually does flip down. Um, so if your kid's having a freak out, don't talk to this part. Get them to breathe and talk to that part because that's the only part that's actually listening. And that's the same for adults. If we're freaking out, can't tell yourself, okay, things will be better. Just snap out of it. You need to put your own lid down and talk to yourself that way. 
Um, so the Bible actually tells us all kinds of places where we should um, worship with our bodies in the Psalms, you know, singing, beat the tambourine, blow the horn, raise your hands, clap your hands. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship. Um, and then also the other kind of way, which is God also says, be still and know that I am God. Let all that I am wait quietly. Um, so another exercise, um, you know, we sing that song, I'll climb this mountain with my hands wide open. Um, I want you to stand up. And I want you, don't put your hands wide open yet. I want you to actually just flop over, like kind of hang down. And just kind of whisper to yourself, I'll climb this mountain with my hands wide open. Yeah, flop over. Climb this mountain with my hands wide open. Anyone feeling like climbing with their hands wide open after that? <laughs> well, it's just a little bit dreary, right? Now go like this. I will climb this mountain with my hands wide open. Just say that. I'll climb this mountain. Does it feel more possible, possible, more available in your body to actually climb this mountain with your hands wide open? It does. Um, and there's this uh, uh, TED talk that says your body language shapes, you can sit down, your body language shapes who you are, and that how we move our body actually shapes how we feel about ourselves. And she says, this um, social psychologist, Harvard prof, that if when you do this, just this position that like athletes will do, your cortisol levels go down. Just this position lowers our stress down. So if you're feeling stressed up, just be like, <sighs> look at yourself in the mirror. I will climb this mountain, my hands wide open. Um, so now, next, what's the truth of our bodies? So we've got these distorted views that we're trying to walk out of. What's the truth about our bodies? We all know these things. We are made in God's image. Um, sometimes I think, you know, we, we think that Jesus came in a body because we were in a body. I sometimes wonder if he made us in a body because Jesus was already in a body. Um, I'm not saying that's theology, I'm just saying. <laughs> but his, the creator is our blueprint. We're made like him. I'm what God looks like, and you're what God looks like, and you're what God looks like, and you're what God looks like. This is what God looks like. Um, in Psalm 139, it says, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. I shared this with my home group um, a few weeks ago, that whenever I hear sort of fearfully in the Bible, I've always sort of assumed that that's me, right? You're working out your salvation in fear and trembling. Um, but I read it differently recently, and God, I think, kind of spoke to me that, like, in that verse... It's God's fear, actually. It says he made us fearfully and wonderfully. It's his fear, not literal fear, but it was, it's his awe and his reverence. He like shaped us with tender care and, and reverence for us. Look at this body. It's going to hold my spirit. Um, and uh, which I think is just so sweet. Um, in Corinthians, Paul talks about that we are the temple. You are a temple, and the Spirit of God dwells in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Um, I think the own here, I, I looked it up in the Greek, 
which, you know, now you know it's an official sermon because I looked up Greek words. Um, but uh, it doesn't just mean own. It means own, obviously, in that he made us his children. We are the sons and daughters. But it also has the, there's also a connotation in that verse that it's, we are not on our own. We are, God is in us. And we are not of ourselves, which means we didn't just make ourselves. We're not just you know, sperms and eggs, making contact, that we are actually of God. Like when Plato talks about his substances, I think the substance that we are made of, the matter we are made of, is literally actually God's substance. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, in Romans, he says that we should give our bodies, offer our bodies as living and holy sacrifices. Um, and I like that that's an invitation. It's not a command to give your body. I think God is always gentle to our bodies and gentle to our spirits. And he's saying, you're living, you're holy. I'm living, I'm holy. We belong together. Why don't you give yourself to me? Um, and then, of course, all of us together. It also says that we're, we all of us together, this is the body of Christ. We are all really meant to be together, that there's all these different parts of the body. Um, so, uh, the other, so what I'd like to read from is our Psalm 84 today. I feel like I could not have seriously picked um, this like, a better psalm for today, or actually John later, so I feel like it just lined up really nicely. Um, how lovely is your temple. I long, yes, even faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord with my whole being, body, and soul. I will shout joyfully to the living God. What joy for those who dwell in your house. They will ever be praising you. So God thinks your body is lovely. Do you think your body is lovely? Are you enjoying it as a, as a place where God is dwelling? Um, I think that, um, actually, that if we... Uh, the way I've always read this, that, you know, if we, dwell, if we dwell in the house, it'll ever be praising that if you're not actually in your body and if you're just, you know, worshiping God from your mind and even your heart, that's not really worshiping in spirit and truth. The truth is that we are this whole being. And I don't think you can ever be praising or ever be doing really anything well if you're not actually in your body. Um, we really live out of our heads and kind of automatic pilot. Um, and then sometimes we'll connect with our hearts too. Um, but we are really living primarily in those places and not out of our body, aware of our body, aware of what God's doing in our body. And, um, and uh, that disconnection is causing a lot of dis-ease in us, in our culture. It's causing literal disease in, in us. And I think sometimes too that God feels really far away from us and we feel separated because he's here and you're out there. You're doing your activity out here feeling, where's God? Where's God? You know, I definitely, definitely have that experience so many times and God's like, well, I'm in here. Why are you out there? So he's in us all the time, but we're not in our own selves a lot of the time. Um, and I think you just can't have a full relationship with God. You can't really experience that real union with God if you're just in your head. Um, so I was talking about how um, Richard Rohr was saying that the word flesh is better translated as ego. Um, 
So the self that we tend to operate that's outside of us is um, this ego self. And the ego self really craves these things. Um, power and control, safety and security, esteem and approval. Um, there's another sacred practice that I've been practicing for a while and I find it really useful when life feels totally out of control. I don't know what to do about stuff. Or, and it's um, called the welcoming prayer. And in the welcoming prayer, you let go. You, you pray that you let go the desire for these things. Now, some of these things feel like things we actually need. Um, and I'm not saying that we don't need some of these things. But um, there's tons of verses where God is actually the source for those things that we need, that he is our strength, he's our shield, he's our strong tower. He's the one who says, you are my child. Today I am pleased with you. Um, when we search these in our egos um, outside in the world, what happens is we basically, we, we end up competing for these. They feel like resources that we're competing for, and they feel like we, we do them in comparison to other people, which always makes us sort of, there's a lose-lose and that sort of thing. And when we seek these, thinking that these are the things that will make us happy, if only this person would you know, treat me better, if only I had a house to myself, if people would only see that I'm really good at doing this and that, then I would feel happy. Um, but actually, those, and so the welcoming prayer is about sort of surrendering the desire for these things and letting God be the one who brings those things to you. And he's the one that sort of is the source of our happiness. Um, so what I think Paul is actually saying is it's not life in our bodies that's the problem. It's not our, our, our spirit or mind and, and our bodies that are at war with each other. But it's the ego and the spirit life that is the problem. Your body is not the problem. And, and it's not where your soul is trapped. And, uh, and it's not your spirit that's going to heaven. We are, we're going to get resurrected. We're going to get new bodies. Um, so, um, how do we live in our bodies? Um, and not just in our heads and out of our egos. Jesus! Matt made that really big for me in a different color. <laughs> uh, um, so, Jesus came in a body. And he lived our experience in a body. And he fed people's bodies. And he touched people's bodies. And he held children. And he died in a body. And he rose not as a spirit or an angel with a heart, but in a human body. And in a body that had wounds. Um, he made sure that they kind of got that, you know. Like, I we kind of give Thomas a bad rap, but Thomas gives us a really good illustration of, like, you know, I, I need to feel that you're real. I need to feel that Jesus is human. So he can says, you know, stick your hands in these wounds. Experience that I am real. I am human. And um, Richard Rohr has this great sort of idea that that's what human is. Human is to be wounded and resurrected at the same time. Um, and, and that's just not sort of our future, but I think our now. That um, God is resurrecting us now. Um, that he's working, making us perfect now. Um, and I really think, too, when I think about it, I think that Jesus, he had to learn this, too. I, I don't think that because he was God, he didn't have an ego problem. I think Jesus had similarly an ego problem. He, it was something presented. It's an option for him. It's an option. It had to be an option. Otherwise, he wouldn't know the struggle that we have that's just so 
so vital in our life, that's so apparent. So I think that, and when it says that Jesus learned obedience, I think what he was learning was is to, to lay that aside and let God's will, God's will and his, God's ego in a sense, God's desire and, and what God said is true to be, to be, or what God said is true. So when he says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased, I think the work of God, Jesus says the work of God is to believe. And I think that it really is kind of sums up what we're trying to be doing here is believing that we are who God says we are. Um, and I think Jesus was doing that. That's what he was doing. He was learning to believe that God was right. That God, when he said, you're my son and I'm pleased in you, that that's really what God meant about him. Um, and, and that God doesn't desire to be anywhere else besides in your body. And, and, um, and I love Song of Songs. It kind of tells you that God isn't just sort of like, oh, that's a pretty little body. It's actually a body God is desiring. He really wants you, and he wants your whole self. Um, yeah. So then we have in John here... Well, we didn't read it today, but it is part of Did we read this today? We haven't finished this. We haven't. It's the lectionary for today. Um, so I'll read it, because we didn't read it. Um, but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my body has eternal life. I'll raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, this is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. Um, so when I read this, I was like <laughs> trying to talk about, you know, it's not metaphorically that God's with us. And this passage seems super symbolic. Um, so I'm like, how do you make this passage feel a lot less symbolic and more actually true in our, in our bodies? How can we relate to this in our bodies? Um, I don't have the full answer for that. Um, <laughs> Uh, I did a Lectio myself around this, this passage because it is sort of mysterious. Um, and so I kind of listened to God myself for a personal invitation in this, and I would totally recommend it because this is, it is a sort of hard to understand. Um, and how can anyone accept it? Because obviously we're not actually, they weren't, you know, taking little bites of Jesus. Um, uh, so, um, and interestingly, I, I think probably part of the problem was that in Leviticus, they're not supposed to be drinking blood of animals and things like this. But here is Jesus saying, drink my blood. I mean, that's obviously a touch appalling, um, I'd imagine, at that time. Um, 
<laughs> so uh, again, I looked up a few Greek words in here, and the one is remain. Uh, that I, and the connotation there that we're remaining in him, that these, this is how we um, will have life in him. And the, the other besides remaining, abiding, whatever. And one of the Greek connotations of that word is actually present. Um, so we are present to God and being present to ourselves, um, which, of course, is the only way we can actually be present to others. If you're not in your body and you're not really present to yourself, you can bet no one's feeling that you're actually with them. Um, and... Um, and that they need to believe this, that this part of belief, part of, you know, entering into the life of Jesus here is believing. And um, in the Greek, there's also a connotation there of entrusting or committing or to give yourself up to. Um, and I think what we're trying to do is giving ourselves up to the present. Um, because we, when we live in our heads, we are pretty much in the past, obsessing about mistakes or things that happened to us or maybe stuck in pain and hurts from our childhood. And our, and then the future. The future is something we obsess about. A lot of our activity is sort of based on the future, our to-do list of things to do. Um, but your body isn't in the past and your body isn't in the future yet. Your body really is only in this moment right now. Um, and. Um, I think Christians have kind of hurt, like that's been sort of a sort of a new age idea for some time, uh, that, you know, Buddhists have this idea. All, all other religions actually have this idea that you really are only in the present. And, but actually, it is true. We really are only here right now. And God is here right now. And God's not in the past. And he's not in, in the future. And it's just like, I mean, he's in all time. But where he's meeting you today is right now here in today, in your body, that's the only place you're going to encounter God. Um, and I felt like God say to me personally that I'm the only place I am is going to experience him is through my body. It's the interface I'm in the world. I'm not going to experience him by being in someone else's mind or someone else's consciousness. And I'm not going to experience the world or him being outside of myself. It's really here or nothing. Um, so how do we live in our bodies um, here's a bunch of sort of physical, tangible ways. I wrote these last these ways at about like late last night <laughs> during my children's bedtime. Um, but it needs to have other things on it, like drumming. It needs to have painting. It needs to have things that seem a little less religious than those seem. Those all seem. Um, but obviously, Eucharist is a really great one. I think it it really does remind us over and over that we are taking Jesus in all the time. Um, and that we need, repeatedly need to take Jesus in all the time. Um, Anglican and Catholic churches obviously have this all the time. Um, but I think the other thing is we can do all these sort of religious activities in a really autopilot kind of, not really thinking about it, you know, read, read the Apostles' Creed on sort of like, you know, just blah, 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 blah. Um, and so then they can feel empty for us, and I think they feel empty when we're not in them. If you're not in it, then it is actually empty of you, so it's not going to really touch you that much. Um, so I think what we need to do is practice awareness. We need to do what Isaiah says. Wake up, wake up, O Zion. Rise from the dust. Remove the chains of slavery. We need to wake up from the long sleep of our egos and... Um, and 
um, wake up from our pasts and um, put aside our future and just really think about what God's saying to you right now through your body today. Um, Because that's the only thing you can really do anything about is the moment right now. Um, So, um, there's a couple ways to wake up. Um, So mindfulness is like a huge sort of movement at this point. Um, uh, And mindfulness is... uh, is, uh, it's not like a just a meditative kind of practice. It's actually a bodily practice. It's paying attention on purpose to the present, non-judgmentally, um, and present to your body. Um, in, in in mindfulness, you're you're not like you know um, emptying your mind necessarily, but you're you're seeing thoughts and saying. There's more thoughts. That's part of life, but they're not who you are. Um, they're just part of living. And you see your emotions, and you can notice your emotions with compassion, but not judging those and um, not needing them to be different. And just kind of let those move and just sort of enter into sort of that calm place when you breathe. Um, mindfulness is now like one of the top treatments for stress, chronic pain, anxiety, depression, PTSD, other mental illnesses, other physical illnesses. Um, There's been so many studies on it. We know that it decreases heart disease and cortisol levels. It boosts our immune systems. It actually builds your immune response. Um, It increases people's sense of self-compassion, well-being, calm, and peace. Um, So mindfulness is something I've been trying to slowly practice myself. it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to stay present um, because we're just habitually not. Um, it's hard to stay present and, and um, because then all your junk kind of comes up on you and you're like, <laughs> um, and I can feel a little bit like overwhelming. Um, and it's hard just because it's easy to let your mind wander around and you know, or obsess about conversations you'd had in the past or your grocery list or things you need to do or whatever. Um, but uh, it's something I've been continuing to try to do just because it really sounds like something God would give us. It does all of those things. And, and uh, I really think it's a gift to God, this thing. And then uh, mindfulness kind of makes the way for contemplative prayer. And contemplative prayer is pretty much the sort of penultimate sacred practice of every mystic of any religion um, but, um, or any sort of living sort of mystic person at this point. Um, And contemplative prayer is just resting in God's loving and living presence. Um, And uh, that's, uh, it's it's the, to me contemplative prayer is that, um, goes along with like Psalm 131 where we, it says that we still and quiet my soul like a weaned child. Um, that that's essentially to me what contemplative prayer is. It's being able to just rest on God, knowing that you're enough and everything you've done is enough and that God doesn't need anything from you. And you actually don't need anything from God. That he's actually 
that he, the fullness of God was put into Christ, it says in Scripture, and Christ is in us. So we really have the fullness of God in us. We're not always experiencing the fullness. Um, I think that's life on this side of the veil. But it is true that everything God gave to Christ, he's given already to us. There isn't more to come. There isn't something else you're still needing. That Everything you really long for is already yours. Um, so I think that's what contemporary prayers to me is just being able to rest in that. And um, obviously that takes practice. I don't think we just sit down and like zen out <laughs> um, thinking, wow, this is great. Um, and uh, and uh, it also doesn't mean just, you know, for pastors or monks or people who can just actually sit around and do nothing. Um, <laughs> that, and so it kind of sounds like that that's what this stuff is. Um, mindfulness and, and contemplative prayer are meant to sort of be the place from which you do all the rest of your activity. So Thomas Keating calls it contemplative service. So if you're, that we carry the rest with us, that everything we are doing, if it has to come from a restful place, it has to come from that place of knowing that God is totally cool with you exactly how you are without anything needing to change. And I think if it doesn't come from that rest, then it's ego. We're doing stuff out of our ego, even if it looks spiritual. Um, so that, and so that's, and I, there's that book, um, Brother Lawrence, The Practice of the Presence of God. So it's a practice. It's not something we're getting, we're not going to finish it in this lifetime, but I think it's possible. I think it's possible that we can really come to rest. And as I've been practicing this, I'm finding it easier um, to be restful while I'm cooking dinner and my kids are annoying. Um, you know what I mean? Like, or uh, my kids are loud and I'm feeling more patient. I'm feeling more like I can handle things. I'm driving around feeling less road ragey. Um, uh, it's, um, yeah, and I'm starting to feel, I'll, I'll wake up and I'll feel like I don't have to pray, actually. I can actually just feel like God woke up with me. Like, I can really just feel right in that moment that there's actually nothing I'm needing to be saying. And, and I'll have, like, I'll think, but, and I'll be, like, checking myself, and I'll be like, but don't I have requests? Don't I have things that I need to sort out? Or, like, there's a lot of stuff that feels, like, really messy still in our lives. And I feel like, I think he's really just present to my requests. He's present to me. He's in my body. And I'm feeling, I'm feeling him. Um... I'm not saying that's happening every day or all day, but um, as I practice this, that's, I'm starting to, it's shifting. I'm feeling that, that rest that can actually walk with me through the day. Um, and for me, that is a massive change. Um, my, like I, I keep feeling like I'm saying it over and over again, in my, um, this is not, this is a little tale of woe, but it's not to sort of draw attention to my little tale of woe. I've had plenty of sympathy. I've don't need any more sympathy about it. Um, and, um, but I, woke, I grew up in like a lot of fear. I was like constantly terrified. I was physically in danger a lot of the time. And that how we come to know things isn't, you know, your parents saying, I love you. That's not the message I got. I, I, we know things by what we experience. And I experienced my body learn to be afraid. And it learned to be hypervigilant and look out for fear and, and for things that might endanger me 
um, even as my adulthood. And, and, um, and of course, that led to sort of mental illness um, where it, your mind just, if your body's in that place, your mind just goes to darkness. And um, a lot of my searching for God was through my mind and through not so much my body because my body was afraid. I was afraid to have God there um, because I was afraid of everything. And, um, and so I had you know, a breakdown because that's just exhausting. <laughs> and, um, and because of carrying that around in my body for so long, I now currently have um, you know, a constant I live in, like, my body's got these diagnoses. I'm still, I'm not saying I have these things anymore because they're changing. <laughs> I'm totally believing God's going to heal those things as he's healing my mind. But yeah, I have these diagnoses that have been given to me of chronic pain and chronic fatigue, and I live with those all the time. And I have, for living with those for so long, I thought, that's just, that's it. This is just how it's going to be. Um, but um, I've found that um, as I've gotten more mindful and stayed in my body more, I'm actually able to trust God more. Like, I, I, I was having a hard time just trusting God with my mind. It wasn't enough. And, you know, people would say, just keep praying Jesus into your heart. And I'm like, how many times can you pray Jesus into your heart? <laughs> um, I think he's there. But as I go into my body, I'm starting to know he's there. I'm expecting to experience his presence with me. And I'm actually, instead of being afraid all the time, I'm actually feeling joy. And for me, that's a massive leap. It's, and I'm feeling peace. And I'm feeling like, hey, I don't totally suck, actually. I think God's pretty content with me. And experiencing his contentness in me is letting me drop all kinds of stuff without having to talk it all out. It's just like, oh yeah, that just isn't an issue because he's, he's pleased with me. So I'm starting to get pleased with me. And ironically, that's taking care of pride. It's out of all that other stuff, there's still quite a bit of pride that can come. And as I, which I'm surely not saying that the pride is all gone, just, um, but I'm feeling like I don't need to kind of cling to oh, I'm good, I'm good, see, can't people see that I'm good? Or, you know, try to prove to God that I'm worth the air that I breathe. It's, I'm feeling like he's content, I'm content, and it's just actually like a, actually like humility, I guess. That's what humility is, is believing that you are what God says you are. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, uh, so I really feel like this is sort of, personally really been true for me um, and and so now what it what I was just thinking about this um, and reading about it not only is like God with me but actually I'm that we are now we are now the word made flesh God isn't Jesus isn't here in his body anymore and I'm not saying we're God but Jesus isn't in the body anymore his fullness is in us we're actually the word walking around now. We are, we're Jesus now. We're Jesus here for other people. And, um, and as I 
spend more time in my own body, I'm actually feeling like I actually can see other people more and not just my projections of who they are or, um, you know, might they cause me danger. Um, and I'm able to be more present to other people. And when you're more present to other people, other people are actually pretty enjoyable and way less irritating and way less scary than they can seem sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of pretty much my final thought that we are, we are God's body. And so I think um, our invitation from God is um, to breathe and to rest and to listen to your body and to listen to the voice um, of the one who lives in our bodies and speaks to us from within our bodies and that it's practice, and that that voice, um, you know, like in Elijah, where it says it's a still small voice, apparently the actual translation is a little more closer to sheer silence, that what we are listening to is sheer silence. So it really takes quieting down, but um, that sheer silence can actually speak quite a bit. It's, quite a, it's got a real volume to it. Um, so, yeah. That's pretty much what I have to say. What goes green and gray?